You're listening to Brave New Words. I'm your host, Ed Fortune, and I'm here with... Producer Al. Ross. I'm Del. Uh, Sai has wandered off uh, into the boot maze to find Russell. We haven't I seen him since last week. Yeah, I don't think it's going to go well. Well, we haven't seen Sai since last week. I haven't seen Sai for a while. Uh, and then he came back, which was lovely. And now he's gone to find Russ, who's still somewhere in the boot maze. I've got a distinct feeling he's probably going to come out of it as soon and find himself somewhere round about Eastercon, which, oddly enough, is Easter. So we might not see him for a while. But anyway, um, you're listening to Brave New Words. Um, on today's show, we're going to have talk about a book that slots together perfectly. Uh, <laughs> it's called A Tetris, and it's bound by Box Brown. Um, but, but if it's together perfectly, it'll disappear. Mm. It will. It will. It's one of the problems with the books. When they were stacking them and sending them around, people were stacking them on the shelves, and then they got them aligned, and then they vanished mm. off the shelves. But they got four points. Yes, which is good. Should we have a jingle? Yes. What do Nikki Sanderson, Sam Aston, Jasmine Franks and Ralph Little have in common? They all attended Carol Godby Theatre Workshop. So if you're looking to gain a bit more confidence or maybe have a career in television, then give us a call on 0161 763 6420 or check us out online at www.carolgodbytheatreworkshop.co.uk. Wasn't that lovely? Lovely. Yes. If you want to have your jingle on the show, please get in touch and we'll sort that out for you. Uh, we are in association with Starburst Magazine, which is probably where you found us. We are also in association with the Wonky Spanner. You can find us on iTunes, you can find us on Stitcher, you can find us at, on Twitter at Radio Bookworm, you can find us on Tumblr as Brave New Words, you can find us on Facebook under our, our Super Secret Book Club, uh, which you should join and then you should share with all of your friends because it's very special and brave. So... Tetris, Box Brown. We've reviewed Box Brown books before because he writes these wonderfully kind of biographical, factual comic books that just tell an interesting story about the world. So in the past he's done one about Andre the Giant, Giant, for example, and about his life. And these are simplified versions of the history. But the history of Tetris... Does someone want to explain Tetris for start? Just in case you don't know what it is. I don't know where you'd start. Well, I remember it being a Game Boy game back in probably the late 80s, early 90s, which the simple idea is you've got little blocks, well, yeah, what we call Tetris blocks, which are all shapes of four little squares in a row. They fall from the top of the screen. You direct them to where you want by rotating them or moving them left and right till they land at the bottom of the screen. And if you make a complete row of little blocks across the screen, that entire row disappears. And if you don't succeed in doing that, eventually all of your blocks will pile up towards the top of the screen. And if they reach the top of the screen, you lose the game. So, Box Brown does not start with what Tetris is. That's fair. He starts starts with the history of games. Right, that's a big subject. So, he starts with, you know, two Russian scientists, computer scientists, 
arguing about um, puzzles and games and modelling because they're computer scientists and their job is to create educational things. And this chap who is Alexei Pajitnov, whose name I've probably got wrong, uh, is chatting away. Uh, and he will become the creator of Tetris. And he's talking about modelling uh, a game called Pentamino, which is you know that block puzzle where you try and put things, tessellate things properly. And he's chatting away and they're talking about design. And then he books around drift into a history of gaming and talks about primitive man and art and artists and drawings and how games are there to help train and improve the mind and what they're for. And he, he, you know, he talks about knuckle bones, and he very does a very, you know, he talks about race games, moving, moving role games, and this sort of thing. And there's a very kind of brief history of gaming, and then moves on slowly but surely, gets to you know, touches on things like role playing, and then from there, we move on to Japan, 1889, and the history of Nintendo. What? Uh, and talks about because Nintendo of course started off as a playing card company right um, and then just goes into the history of very briefly just where they came from and then he talks about the early Nintendo inventions such as the love tester uh, and and a device for getting things off shelves which is called the ultra hand is the love tester the thing where you, you hold it in each hand it's like a carnival thing yes okay um, the um, according to this, the the early light um, games, the arcade games where you shot light at a screen, yeah, that was a Nintendo invention as well. That's how um, they, yeah, they had they did Duck Hunt, honestly. That's well before that, before Duck Hunt, right? The, the actual arcade, they, they bought the board bowling alleys apparently and created these shooting galleries using mm. this light technology. Okay, so that's where he starts. So he doesn't even. And then we touch upon the history of the Atari, and we talk. It basically starts off with the history of. So he sets up. This is mankind. We like playing games. This is Russia. These are Russian scientists. This is Japan. They they've created these games. This is the history of Nintendo. And then he gets into Alexei's story, and Alexei's trying to create a thing to stimulate minds. And he's doing his job, and then as a kind of a side project. He invents Terrace. As you do. And because... Yep, to that. Yep. And because he's in Russia, obviously, he doesn't sell this. He just gives it to other computer scientists on a disc. Up to the point where the place where he's working is like, we can't keep playing this game. Stop. Band, stop. So, at this point, it's, you know, the, the infancy of... Com, you know, home computers are there, but they're not as much of a thing as they are. It's all kind of happening, if you see what I mean. And this game is a shareware game that's going on. And again, Box Brown talks about what it does to the mind, stimulation of the mind. And then he touches on Terrace starts out initially as shareware. So people with computers, home computers, are just passing it to each other. Um, and it finds its way to Bulgaria, and it finds no, sorry, Hungary. Sorry, the Hungarian okay. Institute of Technology. Hungary. It finds no, no, its, it on. finds its way to Hungary, uh, and the Hungarian Institute, Hungarian Institute of Technology, where they're exhibiting the software they they've developed. Um, and is this a UK 
base chap is looking for games that he can tell from foreign markets. You know, and there's this company that is showing off their computer, and they've got Tetris on it, and he plays Tetris. He's like, I want this game, and they're like, we don't own the rights to that game. Do you want to buy the computer? And he's like, nope. So, basically, he's playing this game, he's horribly addicted, he finds it amazing. Um, but, no one has the rights to this game, he can't find the rights to this game, and obviously, he needs to secure the rights to this game. It's, it's shareware, people are passing it across academies and all the rest of it. And the guy's like, well, this is horribly addictive. So, and he says, I played it for hours and I hate games. I don't play video games, but I love this. So, he contacts the Moscow Computer Center, where Alexi works, um, sends a telex. Wow, telex. Offers to, offers to print the game. Um, and then obviously it goes it has to be translated because it's in English uh, and it goes around, around the houses and eventually they get a legally binding deal at which point things get even more complicated you see the deal's not a very solid or well written deal because the people here don't know what they're doing and the deal is also very vaguely worded so at this point Mirasoft owned by Robert Maxwell that um, that at the time millionaire who would turn out to be a bankrupt, but never mind. Chap gets involved, as do as do Nintendo. Essentially, once it's out, it's out, and everyone wants this game. And there's a sort of race going on to get secure the rights for Tetris. And Maxwell leans on Gorbachev and the people that he knows, and Nintendo and the other, and Nintendo are having a fight with Atari, and Atari might have the rights to this game as well. And there's all sorts of different politics going on, different elements, and all of these little separate blocks falling <laughs> down until eventually, and no one wants them to align the way where the rights disappear and they lose it. So, oh dear. Everyone's ch- and, and in the background. There's there's this guy called Alexi who isn't seeing a penny out of any of this because he's just a scientist who's just invented this amazing game. The it gets bumped up to a government department. They they turn up at the computer center, take all the boxes, take all the stuff away. The you know everyone's making a massive fuss about it. People could possibly lose their jobs or even maybe their lives or end up in a gulag. Because of this game, so there's real stakes going on, as everyone is just trying to you know, get their best deal. It's got, it's a real story, so it's set in the real world. Mm. So they are sort of happy endings, in the sense that uh, Alexi did see some money out of it in the end. There's some tragedy as well. Um, Stuff goes on with all of it, and Box Brown deals with it very sensitively. If you know anything about the story about it, there were people who were involved who had other personal problems where things went wrong. And there's a real human story, and there's real tragedies going on. What's amazing about the way Box Brown puts these stories together is all of this is real, all of this is human drama. Uh, it's a comic book, and the art is simple enough. And because it's simple enough, it allows him to tell the story in an astoundingly complicated way. 
the story of Tetris is really complicated. You've got the Cold War going on. You've got businesses going bankrupt. You've got Nintendo finding Atari. You've got all sorts of different complicated rights for different things. You've got this one guy in the UK who's gotten it wrong but sold it everywhere and so on. You've got all these different things falling apart. And yet it makes one coherent story. Yet it makes sense. Um, it's a remarkable achievement. And it's also an amazing story. Mm. And there's some brilliant bits like uh, the Russians got really upset at one point where one version of the game has the, the background images and it has Red Square with tanks in. And they're like, this is a peaceful game! This is, this is, Tetris is meant to be peaceful. Why have you put a tank in the Tetris wow. background? And, and that sort of thing. So it's kind of, it's an interesting look at post-Cold War Russia and, you know, uh, solid, uh, the Gorbachev era sort of thing. Um, it's kind of a little bit of like Russian history, but it's all about games and the creation of games and the human story. Um, it's also it's also black, yellow, and white, white yeah, all on, of it. on its style, which again is very box brown. He's very kind of I wouldn't say simplistic because they are actually quite quite complicated graphic designs that stylized. look simple. They, they look simple, but it's, it is very stylized, but not overly stylized. Mm. Um, and I love the way that in each chapter he introduces the extra characters and the various people as they turn up as well. Yeah, I'm just trying to think why, why yellow, and I'm to some extent I'm thinking of sort of the yellow background of the Game Boy screen and how you might play that, you know, rather than red, blues, or greens. But I don't know. I haven't occurred to me that that's exactly what he's doing, isn't it? It's that yellow, that old-fashioned yellow. Well, yeah, yellow I'm just trying screen. to think why yellow. You know, why, you know, why not reds or something else? But if you just wanted one color, obviously, you know, you, if you wanted more than one color, you'd be able to do that as well. But it's very cool. It wasn't until producer Al took it that I realised it was a comic book. Um, when you were holding it, I just assumed it was. It was a history. Just a, yeah, it history. That's really cool. And and one of the things he doesn't do, and I'm quite glad he doesn't, is he doesn't try and do anything clever with the the actual page panels. Yeah. So though the panels, though you get your standard kind of storytelling build, there isn't an L-shaped bit <laughs> or a strip shape. Yeah, bit. I was slightly thinking whether you. That would be a possible thing. Yeah, how would you follow it? Well, I was just oh. thinking whether or not there'd be a complete line of text because then it would be invisible. But... <laughs> oh dear. But I mean, I mean, there are some clever and stylized graphic bits, but it's very, very well done, and it's also very pretty. Ooh. The story sounds. I know, like it's again, it's non-fiction. It's not really a story, but it sounds like a story, and it sounds interesting, like. It sounds like something I want to know more about. It, it's, a, it's a compelling tale, and I think, I mean, we, we've reviewed video game stuff before as well, so we've talked about um, terrible video games that you may not have heard of, which is Stuart Ashland. Right. And that's more just very small kind of vignettes into awful games design. One of the things I find fascinating is how much games have changed, because Terrace weirdly tells a story. Mm. This is the history of Tetris. The book Tetris tells you the story. When you play the game, there's a story behind it. Everything has a story behind it, even even Tetris. You know, but um, and the more we try and put stories into games, the less we have stories behind the games. It's kind of weird. Yeah. 
I um I really enjoy them. They do a GDQ week every like twice a year or something. Um, just games done quick, and the Tetris ones are always absolutely phenomenal. And um, the one I think it was maybe coming up to three years ago now. There was one where a guy completed Tetris in under 10 minutes, including the secret Grandmaster level, which when the credits are rolling, there's actually still a Tetris game being played, but the pieces are invisible. So if you just watch the credits, you don't know. And somehow, like, his brain can just remember the layout of where he's put things and where they are, and he plays it while it's invisible, and he's still going when the credits roll out. Like, it's amazing. Hang on. But yeah. You complete Tetris? Yeah, there's 10,000... No, nine. 1,999 levels. Okay. Oh, uh, and when you get to the end, you've got you, you've reached the Grandmaster level and the credits roll up. Um, okay. They, they did some I'm... really interesting like side-by-side ones last year. So last year they had like competitions, so you'd have the split screen with the different these two people playing at the same time. It's just... The way... Like, I can't even see the what's coming next box and they've seen it, acknowledged it, work out where it should go and got it there. Like, it's amazing. I thought it was just one of those, like an infinite runner games, where it just kept on going until yeah. eventually That's why, you it gets, get to the top of the screen. It gets faster, doesn't it? Yeah. It gets faster well, as you go. Yeah. So it would, there's no way that it could keep going forever. Pac Man has an ending. Okay. Well, pa- yeah. Pa- that's just that's down to it. There's two two hundred fifty-five levels because that's the number of levels you can store in eight bits. Yeah. And then you get to so there's different. So there's, I get there was two hundred fifty-five different maps. For it, but oh, no, there's 250 the level 256. Yeah. Uh, it, it the game breaks and you can't get to one side of the screen, but you can keep playing for a while until, okay. it, until it becomes irretrievably broken. They did a version called Pac Man 256, which is infinite scrolling Pac Man. Oh my god, yeah, this is the the crossy road, yeah, it thing. just goes yeah. on and on and on forever. And it's you know, as, as this guy's being chased by ghosts forever. That sounds horrible. He gets power-ups as well. He gets, like, he can blow, blow stuff up or turn into a giant mouth. Yep. Mental. Yep. No. So, yes. So that is Box Brown. It is available. It is Tetris, even. It is by Box Brown. It is available on the Self-Made Hero. We love Self-Made Hero. Because um, they just do really good stuff. Um, they do some really scary weird iconic stuff as well but mostly <laughs> they do some absolutely lovely and brilliant stuff um, yes his other books include uh, Andrew the Giant uh, Life and Legend um, which is again one of my favourite books and if you love wrestling uh, it's fantastic just the way it's written and the way it's done amazing the, the, the iconic drawing box round drawing for me it's something I would have on my wall is the one of Andre going to school young Andre going to school lying on a flatbed truck because he won't fit in the school bus. Oh. There was, I can't remember who it was, there was someone quite famous who was driving him as well, wasn't it? Various, yeah, there's, there's, there's various people who claim to have driven him in the past, but yeah, it was someone relatively famous who picked him up, and I can't remember who it was. Yeah, I mean, it's this, yeah, because he gets, he gets a lot of, obviously, you know, because he's big in wrestling. That's not a pun. Yeah. Um, but obviously, I, I consider him. Close to me on, on the counter, the Princess Bride. So you know they're back. So that will tell you know stories of the character, you know, the people who've been in it as well. Shall, shall we briefly go into the the whole wrestling isn't wrestling uh, side of things just for the just for the heck of it? In what sense? Well, 
wrestling, people who are fans of wrestling, people who aren't fans of wrestling will turn around to you and say, you do realise it's fake. And you're like, and my response as a default is always, so hang on, you mean that battle between the undead guy and the superhero that was fake? Are you sure? Because when that guy pulled that other guy from underneath the the wrestling pit itself, the wrestling ring, and dragged him into hell, I thought that was real. I, I was convinced that was a that was a real thing. Yeah. I mean, obviously, when someone gets smacked in the face with a ladder, they're being smacked in the face with a ladder. That's not a form ladder; it's a ladder. So you know that's real. But the 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 drama and the theatrics, reasonably confident that's fake. I just think sometimes it's not a conversation worth delving into a lot of the time because the people who tend to say things along those lines don't they're not going to watch it they don't get it and like I kind of just find it easier to just be like I'm just doing it and think what you want to, I was talking yeah, to a friend a bit ago because she because she she wasn't she didn't say that but she was kind of of that opinion and um, it was quite interesting when I was like it's not choreographed and she was like what she was like oh I thought I thought it was I was like well how would you have time to do that and um, I was at an indie wrestling uh, event in the Ritz in Manchester Um, it might have been the last HXC one at the Ritz and Jimmy Havoc got thrown into one of the walls in the Ritz and put a hole into it and um, we were at the bar and the barmaid went whoa 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 I thought this was wrestling like (laughs) that's not real is it and we were like well the the hole in your wall is so um yeah Hi, enjoy. Run away. <laughs> Incredibly violent, interpretive, improvisational dance. Yeah. Ooh. Pretty much. Um, we've got stuff from the Folio Society. They've oh, sent us cards. Pretty, 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 pretty stuff. It's oh. very but, pretty. It was well segued. I, I liked that. Yeah. I think it worked. So we've got Ulysses by James Joyce. They're doing a pretty version of Ulysses. That includes three new essays, apparently. Cool. Um, I you can they they also currently do a version of Finnegan's Wake for if you really want to be incomprehensible. Um, Ulysses is at least readable. I mean, come on, you can read Ulysses and get some value out of it. But Finnegan's Wake, can you tell I'm not a fan? I'm I'm I'm, <laughs> I'm not terribly a fan of Joyce. I have to say, I think Joyce is one of those ones that you have to take your time with and kind of have to enjoy and dip into, and. It it's okay. I mean, it's it doesn't it's feel real. Doesn't <laughs> James Joyce is not real. James Joyce is not James Joyce. Ulysses is not Ulysses. Uh, um, the whole new wall, yes, but you know, the, the book, no, that's, that's fake. Well, <laughs> well, if they throw this version of Ulysses at you, you will get a hole in the wall. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> oh my god, it's gorgeous though. See, beautifully illustrated. We've retroactively segued. It was fine. Folio Society doing something pretty. Never. Um, I've never heard of the Zimmerman Telegram. Neither have I, but it sounds amazing. Published to mark the centenary, that would make sense. It's a telegram. Um, the Zimmerman Telegram, no, the specific... centenary of the telegram. No, it's a specific thing that brought um, the US into the First World War. Right. Like, His... you, like you're aware that in the Second World War, Pacific Harbor forced the Americans into World War Two. This is what forced them into World War One. The Zimmerman Telegram. Yes. Gosh. The story of espionage and counterintelligence introduced by historian Margaret Macmillan. 
Are you just looking at Ulysses going, well, that's pretty. I'm going, yeah. I'm looking at him going, that looks big and chunky. But. <laughs> the gastronomical me. Is it a book that you can also eat? That's the question. See, I just think that sounds a little bit... I'm, and it's yellow, so I'm expecting minions. <laughs> what? Because the, the, the gastronomical me, it just says despicable me oh. in my head. Clever. Thanks. Oh, yeah, no, fair enough. I get mm. it now. I just thought you meant anything yellow as a minion. It's it's basically a biogra- an autobiography um, with photos from the original author where they talk about food. She's a revolutionary food writer, MK, uh, MFK Fisher. Um, and she maps all moments of her life via food. Well, who doesn't, really? Mm. You know, we did this amazing thing and then we went for chips. Chips, chips, chips. Um... Shall we, shall we try and find a... Oh, look, Ian McEwan's The Atonement. Uh, he says, can get across the room? I don't care about The Atonement. If you just think I'm wrong... No, sir. Is it just Atonement? Yeah. I don't care about Atonement. I don't care about... I don't care for the book. I don't care for the movie. I think it's rubbish. I think I found the book in a horrendous waste of time. I found <laughs> the movie even more so. I was only really watching it because I think Romila Gari is a fantastic, fantastic actress. And she's wasted in it. Yeah. As are all the rest of the talent. It's a terrible movie. It's a terrible book. I don't understand why people love it. If you want to explain to me, what I, I don't know if anyone else in the team can explain it to me. No, I haven't I've, seen it. I've not read it and I didn't see it because just all of the promo for it, I just wasn't interested in the story. And I think, like, I think James McAvoy is amazing. Like, but it wasn't enough. It, it's one of those. It's one of those. It's a story about basically someone frames someone else for something awful, and then regrets it and whinges about it. Uh, and it's just rubbish. It's just you know, it's meant to be a really sad kind of story about someone's personal journey. But I hate all the characters. I hate all the characters in the book, and I hate all. The, and it probably makes me a soulless monster on some level. Uh, but I would love other opinions. And uh, you can find us on Twitter at Radio Bookworm. Um, that was a bit of a rant. Yeah, um, it's alright. I was just wondering if you had any stronger opinions about something. Yes, but I can't say them on the radio because the, we can't get broadcast on fabradiointernational.com. Um, the Bull from the Sea, Mary Reno. The Minotaur is dead and the Labyrinth defeated. In this sequel to Mary Reno's rising, the king must die! A young Theseus returns to Athens to find his father dead. The artwork on this looks incredible. Yeah, they've gone for um, they've gone for that kind of I can't remember what the pot's called, but that design. Like, <laughs> yeah, what does the Grecian have? Uh, Thirty drachma a week. Was Yay! <laughs> True for beauty. Um, yeah, they've gone for that kind of Grecian style artwork design. And what's that you've got in your hand? Uh, the same as you've got in your hand. Oh, the Prince in Splendor. Mm. Court festivals of medieval Europe. Mm. So this is a very... Apparently raves of their time. Or the opening time of the Olympic Games, either or. Okay, I see what you're saying. Yeah. It's apparently a very thick book full of medieval um, plates um, about medieval court, basically. Which I think, as fantasy fans, it's one of, those, one of those things that I think you kind of have to grab so you can put that into your into your collection because it's one of those The Prince of Splendor to me looks like a book that you would have 
as source material, mm. especially if you're a fantasy writer. Um, and there's like you know, there's Myth and Fable is obviously one of the ones that you have on your shelf as a kind of default book to 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 tell stories. And there's a whole bunch of other ones as well, which we should do an entire show on just source material books. I think at some point. What does quarter bounding cloth mean? Um, as opposed to bounding cloth. Good question. Maybe it means only quarter of it is bounding cloth. The rest is it, of it's bounding paper? No, is it not cut and then quarters and then bounding cloth? It's good. So well, yeah, you've got a quarter of the book bound and then you bound, bound it in quarters. Yeah, it's the it's the essentially you've divided the book into you've four. Divide the, you've folded the page over, cut the top, and then you've got an automatic fold, and then it's bound in the cloth. Okay. Good. So you've got those separate, so that's, and then it's stitched in, so that's that separate pages, so the binding process is literally a single sheet that's been turned, there's one, one coherent sheet that's been turned into four, and then bound. I mean, stitched into the cloth. I believe I'm probably wrong at this point because yeah. it's been ages since I've hand bound a book. It's, 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 it's got to say, it's been a while since I last did it as well. But um, I've, I've, I've never, never bound a book. Sounds like a shame. It's a lot of fun actually. So as, yeah, a, yeah. as a craft thing to do um, is to make, but there's different methods and there's different ways. And I don't think I've ever actually done it with cloth. I've just done the stitching and the settled style he said groping for information that is long gone and departed from his brain I'm sure someone will very kindly explain to me the binding process again got a rough idea as to, as to how spines work but um, <laughs> lest I not break them you know what we do actually know somebody I think who does that we do uh, 5011 yeah, yeah, we should. We could, we could interview them or something on the show at some point. We should have a word with some bookbinders, mm. maybe, and some some books, and get them to talk about their craft. Yeah. Should we talk to a lovely author? Let's do that. Yeah. A lovely author. So we've talked about Tetris. We've talked about the next thing. You have the theme tune in your head. I want to play Tetris now. I just want to, like, I'm going to probably download it onto my phone or something and just play. Do you not have a Game Boy to hand? I do have a Game Boy upstairs. But whether the batteries are actually still working is another matter entirely. The well, batteries it... exploded inside my game. Oh. I've been too scared to use it since. Oh. And there's that thing about Pokemon, isn't there, where people have Pokemon inside their, their, their Game Boys. And there's only a certain life on the battery. So there's all these Pokemon somewhere in these little cartridges. <laughs> and, and eventually the battery's going to run out. And the Pokemon will just cease to be. My Game Boy is so old and it's one of the original big ones, black and white. Yeah. yeah. With the yellow background, which is what we were talking about with the yellow print on here. I'm not I'm not even sure it was yellow, you know. I think it was like the greenish. Ooh. Yeah, my cousin's yeah. one was like more of like a greenish background. Yeah. He had the really, well, the, like both my, my cousins that were like the same age as me, they both had big chunky Game Boys and they had the... The little like zoom screen that used to clip oh, on the top, yeah. so it magnified it with a light. Yes, I and then those. my brother and one of those cousins had Game Gears as well. <coughs> and my cousin with his Game Gear had the cartridge that you put in the top, and it makes it into a telly. And we watched my cousin Vinny on his Game Gear. You used to be able to get wow. printers for them as well, didn't you? Where you could Just... get like a like a like a primitive camera that would take a photo of you, and then a thermal printer that would print. 
It was wow. amazing. If you think like the limitations of technology and yet we could do magic things like that is yeah. incredible. Nintendo did an awful lot with not. I, I remember having. I remember playing with. It remember playing with uh, was it Lynx the, the colour one that was Atari's competitor I have, I have yeah. to say I have Games no idea described. why I owned a Game Boy because I don't remember ever asking for one but it would have been gifted to me probably at a birthday wow yeah or it might have got handed down no 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 no, no, no it was new I've got a yeah, box people potentially it's, it like said birthdays and Christmas yeah. get them a Game Boy I am, I am, I am tempted because I have nieces and nephews. I am tempted at some point to to take them to the dark side of Nintendo. Here is a Game Boy. There's um, a YouTube channel called like it's basically dot 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 react. So they have like elders react, teens react, kids react, and they did a kids react with with a Game Boy, and um, or it might have been teens react, and loads. One of them was just like, oh, this is what this is what I've got on the back of my phone. And they had no idea. And then there was a bit where it wasn't working. And they were like, why isn't it working? And the guy went, oh, take the cartridge out and blow it and put it back in. And they were like, what are you talking about? And he was like, I promise you, take the cartridge out, blow it, put it back in. And it worked. And they were like, I don't understand. And then when they died, and they were like, I'm at the beginning. Like, is it broken? It's like, no, when you when you died, you died. There's no saving this. And just the rage. It was brilliant. So I've good. seen something similar with this with the NES. Yes, NES similar thing. One of the people participating it is Maisie Williams. Yeah, yes. yeah, she does theirs. And yeah, the, there's they're just confusion. There's also a lovely XKCD comic where someone points out that the people who grew up thinking, right, if we just take it out, blow in it, and put it back in again, the people who are old enough to remember doing that have now been surgeons and things for quite a while now. Because can we? <laughs> You know, okay, yeah, the heart's not beating. Wait, if we take it out, <laughs> blow down the ventricles and put it back in again, does it work? It's a lovely image. <laughs> but apparently isn't there reasoning? There's genuine reasoning why if you blew into the cartridge it would work um, again. You're basically shaking it. The process of, if memory serves, you're basically giving it a shake and there's something about the way it's out. Yeah. Like it expands with heat and then it needs to just go down. I don't know. There's probably there's probably actual science. If you're an actual scientist, please get in touch and tell us why we're wrong. Shall we leave? Yes. Yeah. Bye. 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 Bye.